Well, good evening and welcome, my friends, fans, and colleagues, back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Karen Tate, and uh, we are in our 10th year of broadcasting. Can you imagine, if you have been with me from the beginning, wow, has the time flown by. It has been a decade. And uh, just want to say thanks to uh, Zingaya, that, uh, that's the group uh, whose music you were uh, just heard a little snippet from. Uh, that cut was called The Breath of Passion. I have to say it's one of my favorites. I just have this sense of uh, riding atop a camel in a caravan, just loping across the desert. Um, I don't know, kind of like Linda of Arabia or something like that. I just, I just love that one. Anyway, Zingaya is a great group uh, out of Las Vegas. If you're looking for some music uh, to fill your uh, musical um, uh, repertoire, portfolio, whatever, uh, look up Zingaya. They have lots of good stuff. Well, tonight uh, we have a, uh, an interesting show for you. Uh, I have with uh, with me, Lauren Lipton. She's a freelance journalist, um, and um, she received notice in 2015 uh, for publicly criticizing Huffington Post founder Ariana Huffington for predatory practices toward bloggers and freelance writers. Uh, we'll discuss the state of television journalism and practice among uh, the media that uh, have journalists struggling uh, to make ends meet and uh, make a living wage. Uh, also, you know, we'll be talking about uh, uh, print media as well. Uh, we'll delve into why um, this is such a dangerous uh, precedent, uh, you know, our media not being able to make a living and why should be, uh, we should be concerned as citizens. Um, and, you know, this is also about the lack of journalistic integrity um, that usually seems to benefit the corporate-owned media uh, and the 1% as they dumb down so much of the 99%. And those of you who listen to my show regularly know this is uh, uh, a hot-button topic with me. I've written some articles about it. I uh, I use that as the focus of my work with uh, Rianne Eisler's uh, Partnership Society, uh, talking about uh, the lack of journalistic integrity as a form of domination. And uh, if anybody's uh, paying any attention to the presidential campaign, we certainly see uh, a lot of bad things happening as the fourth estate uh, is um, just uh, seems to be ignored. It seems to be evaporating, um, and with most of the so-called journalists out there, I've I've actually stopped calling most of them journalists. I call them news readers now or teleprompter readers. But uh, there are two sides to the story, and uh, Lauren is going to uh, tell us about what. Um, you know, what journalists struggle with, um, you know, because there's two sides to every coin. So um, stay with me. I think, uh, you know, you'll find this uh, interview tonight very enlightening. And afterwards, uh, I have some fun stuff, so you'll want to stay tuned uh, after our interview. Uh, Pat, my roving reporter who is still recovering from that uh, horrendous uh, auto accident, uh, she sent me something fun uh, written by Audrey Hepburn. Uh, some of you might recognize that name uh, if you're baby boomers like myself, uh, Audrey Hepburn. 
uh, is an old movie star, and uh, she has some very interesting beauty tips for women, and uh, I, I think you'll get a kick out of that. And uh, I recently had uh, an article published, a, a short little article in a Lancaster, Pennsylvania um, newspaper called The New World of the Sacred Feminine. I thought I would uh, share that with you. It uh, might get your juices flowing, might help you get your uh, sacred roar on. And uh, I'm sure we'll have other stuff uh, to chat about as well. But uh, let's uh, not delay too much longer. Let's uh, get to my uh, guest tonight, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Karen. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being with me tonight uh, to talk about this uh, topic in the media. And um, uh, but let, before we start, though, let me tell listeners a little bit about you, because um, you know you've you've done a lot of work out there, and uh, just uh, you know so listeners have a sense of uh, you know your uh, your CV, so to speak. Um, so anyway, uh, I think I've already said Lauren is a freelance journalist. Uh, she also covers style and social trends uh, for the New York. Times, The Wall Street Journal, Allure, Town and Country, uh, and a bunch of other publications. Uh, she's a former staff writer at The Wall Street Journal. She began her career at the LA Times, uh, right here in my backyard in Venice Beach. Uh, she also worked uh, on staff uh, for magazines including InStyle and Cosmo. Uh, she's the author of two novels and a forthcoming nonfiction book on yoga that will be out next year. You'll have to be back and we can talk about that uh, Lauren, and uh, she speaks out frequently on freelancers' rights and fair pay um, and, and those sorts of issues that uh, affect journalists. And as I said, um, she received notice in 2015 uh, for publicly criticizing uh, Ariana Huffington for predatory practices toward bloggers and uh, freelance writers. And uh, she currently lives in New York, and I'm glad to have her uh, with me tonight. So, um, so, Lauren, do you want to start with, um, you know, th- what happened with Ariana Huffington? Sure. Um, so, Ariana Huffington, as I am sure your your listeners know, um, is a woman who started a, an, a big online media outlet called Huffington Post. And um, what Huffington Post used to do, it doesn't do as much of as it, it has a little more original stories than it used to. What it used to do is basically was an aggregator site, which means it would find stories elsewhere and link to them, basically, writing a little intro and saying, here's a story in the New York Times about whatever. Um, And then it would also, to drive traffic, have bloggers like, you know, Karen, you may have written for them. Um, You know, people that were writers would write for the Huffington Post for free, and in return, the Huffington Post would offer them exposure. Um, We have, you know, they'd say we have zillions of readers, and if you're a blogger on our site, then they'll surely go to your blog and you'll get zillions of readers yourself. That's the backstory, as probably most people know. Um, Mm -hmm. Ariana Huffington sold the Huffington Post a few years ago to AOL for hundreds of millions of dollars. She was already wealthy to begin with. She's even wealthier now. Um, and unfortunately, the business model did not change that much. That one of the complaints, there, you know, that there were bloggers. I was not one of them, by the way. I would never have done that because uh, I, I work for money. <laughs> but um, people that weren't as, you know, did not have, weren't as far along as their careers or didn't have an outlet like the New York Times to write, they would 
blog about all sorts of topics that they were experts on, um, pulling in lots and lots of readers over the years, lots of viewers. And when Ariana Huffington sold her company, um, the bloggers rightfully felt that they perhaps deserved a little piece of that money because they had worked for free for many, many years and just perhaps deserved a little bit of financial compensation for the fact that they brought this huge audience to Huffington Post. And she, it, but she, had, she pocketed all the money. Oh, she didn't pay anybody anything forever and yeah. didn't pay those people anything when she sold the company. It's sort of like, you know, if you started your own business and you had everybody work for stock options or for, for nothing with the promise yeah. that someday, you know what I mean? And, and in her case, she, I don't well, think it's she like an intern. It, kind of. like, I mean, it sounds like it's almost like when you're an intern on a TV show, they pay you nothing and they hope you get something else out of it, uh, but you still have to eat. Well, and pay you know, I, would even go a, I would even go a step further, and this is how I, I, I for some reason, always use a lot of ana- uh, building analogies when I talk about freelancing, and I don't know why, but I'll stick with it today. So let's say I have a piece of land in Connecticut, and I need a barn, right, or a house. I need a house, and I have a lot of people that are in Connecticut, and some people know how to frame a house, and some people know how to, you know, paint a house or put up siding or whatever it is that you do. And so I get all these people and I say, hey, would you guys all come and help me build my house? That would be really cool. You'd be doing something great for me mm-hmm. and you'd be contributing to something wonderful and you'd get experience and people might come see my house and say, who put on that siding and I would recommend you, okay? So everybody right, goes, that right. sounds swell. Let's do that, right? Everybody chips in a little bit of time and money and builds me my house. And then I go, thanks, you guys. And then I sell my house for $300 million, right? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that yeah. in a way is and, – and they're like, hey, wait a minute. Like, you know, where's my, like, $5 an hour? I, you know, whatever. I mean, it, there, there was just sort of a – you know, there was no promise of anything, yeah, left, but there's a moral thing going on there, right? Well, it left it left people with a bitter taste in their mouth. I mean, she built her company on their backs, basically. Exactly. They did exactly. they did all the labor, and she, um, you know, they basically got nothing unless they somehow were able to parlay that exposure into something. And I mean, and I and I can say that I mean, I've been on the Huffington Post a couple times, not that many, um, and I, I've got you know I. I I cannot uh, I, I cannot tell you what I got out of it. You know, there's no discernible uh, upside, certainly no monetary compensation for it. You know, maybe a little bit of exposure, but certainly nothing that you can take to the bank. <laughs> exactly, um, right. And I always say, like, I wish my mortgage company took exposure bucks because, you know, I could pay them. And what if I paid my doctor an exposure? That would be great, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so it's doesn't it doesn't work it's not a good business model to be fair so, so what happened did did uh, she uh did you so you wrote a blog about it i guess so so what happened was ariana huffing i never worked for huffington post i need to make that really clear i have never worked for them and i never and i wouldn't have done it because again i'm a professional writer and i don't work for exposure i work for money right so i never did that um, but Ariana Huffington, to me, and to many journalists, and many people who are not journalists but are bloggers or hobbyists or you know who write for Huffington Post, um, she became a symbol of just of of the way that we journalists have become treated, which are as people that are happy to supply. I am happy to do my work for you, so that you can earn a buck, right? It was just it, she became very symbolic to a whole you know the whole. Everybody who works in journalism, she's a symbol of greed and poor pay and poor treatment. 
So cut to last year, um, I have a website, and I got an email at my website that was from a researcher for Ariana Huffington. Ariana Huffington just put out a book probably a month ago on sleep. I don't know if that's something you've heard of. It's like the power of sleep or whatever, why it's important yeah, to get a good I've, night's I've sleep. Yeah, I've heard her out there hawking it, yeah. Right, and I feel like, must be nice. You bet you sleep pretty well when you, you know, <laughs> on 300 million bucks. <laughs> like, I'm not sleeping so well, but I bet you are. So anyway, I get an email from this, this person I've never heard of, some young guy, researcher, presumably young, who says, hi, Lauren, my name is so-and-so, and I am a researcher for Ariana Huffington, and um, Ariana ran across an article you wrote for the Wall Street Journal on hotel beds, and in the article you cited some some statistics from a from a poll by Gallup. Okay, and and we went on the Gallup website and we couldn't find exactly the statistic you, you quoted. So I'm wondering, would you give them to me? Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that was my reaction, and I was like, uh, no, I will not. In fact, give you, the, you know, that's like, no, I will not. And I will tell you exactly how I got the statistic from Gallup. I went and found a Gallup poll on hotel beds. There was a, you know, a little press release on the website, and it it had some kind of, you know, general statistics about people in hotel beds. And then, as a reporter does, if you want something that's not on the website, but you wonder if maybe the survey might have discussed this and they just didn't post it publicly. I called Gallup and I tracked down the person I needed to find and I said, did you ask the question about, you know, whatever the, the, the statistic was that I quoted in the, in the journal story? I basically just did some pretty simple reporting, made a phone call, mm-hmm. got some more information. So if, if this reporter or this researcher for Ariana Huffington had wanted to find that information, then he certainly reported, yeah. right? That's what yeah. we do. But I, I absolutely but they, am they, not. But they didn't want to put out the effort. They just wanted to benefit from your sweat and toil. Exactly. Or even more than that, this guy maybe didn't even know that he could do that. That's how, you know, either she hired yeah. someone who has no idea how to report, which is bad enough, um, and pays, no doubt paid him terribly, or, you know, she wanted me to do her work for her. And I was really, really offended by this, like really peeved. Um, yeah. I am not a person to not speak my mind. I'm just not afraid. I'm not afraid of Ariana Huffington. I am never going to work for Ariana Huffington. And I don't care if she blackballs me all over town because I get nothing out. You know, if, even if she hates me and is like, well, I'll never do business with you. What does it matter? She doesn't pay anyway. So I don't care if Ariana Huffington hates me. So I wrote this email back to this nice young person who I didn't know. And I said, you know, I don't know you. This is not about you. I'm sure you're just doing your job. But Miss Huffington is rapacious, and she has ruined the financial in the lives of many journalists, and she expects us all to work for free for the joy of exposure, and I'm not doing it for you. And if she wants to find out where I got my research, she can hire me, or she can do it herself. Goodbye. Yeah. You know. Uh, what I also did was I sent that email to a very well-known – because I know my journalism. I know how to get – press if I want to. So there's a media blogger who's wonderful named Jim Romanesco, who is the sort of, he is like all things inside the media business. Um, He's read by every reporter of any note anywhere. Um, And I forwarded him this email saying, hi, Jim, you know, you don't know me, but you might be interested in this. And he said, oh, I am. So he posted on his blog 
And that's when it went crazy. And every reporter who's <laughs> ever been screwed by anyone was like, you go, Lauren Lipton, whoever you are. You know, so that is my long story about what happened with Ariana Huffington. And I will, I will also so say that you... I recently saw her book, and I checked the back to see if my name was in it, and it was not. I don't think she used my – I don't think she even touched that story in the Wall Street Journal, and that was probably smart of her because, <laughs> you know, she just let me alone. Yeah. Which is good. Well, so so you, you there was never any feedback from her then after that. No, <laughs> no. Okay, okay. Um, although I, okay. I will say, as a funny PS, um, I am writing this yoga book, um, which is a totally different story. This lovely book about yoga, and my editor said to me, "I'd love for you to get a famous person to write your foreword." How about Ariana Huffington? Because she's, she's a yogi, apparently, which is sort of sad. And I said, oh, please, no, please do not, because I am quite certain she must know who I am, and I would be mortified and never would want her to write the full of my wonderful book. But I was pretty funny. Like, don't touch that one. Oh, the, the world can – there is such irony sometimes. I mean, that that is really funny. Um, well, so tell me, did she sort of start this – um, this new way of, uh, you know, print media out there. I mean, it, you know, sort of take this scenario you explained where, you know, people are out there writing on all of these blogs, uh, uh, you know, for exposure rather than money. Is that something she created or is that something she um, perpetuated? Or, I mean, obviously I guess she did. But, I mean, can she, can we, we lay a lot of the problem at her doorstep that she sort of started this trend of using people without paying them? I, I do not feel qualified to say for sure that she started it. I will say she certainly perfected it, you know, and, and I think that, um, and again, I don't want to pick on her necessarily, you know, except that she seems sort of horrible, but, you know, she, I don't think she's probably any more horrible than, I mean, I feel like she's a woman, you know, and in a way, you know, I feel like, am I demonizing her more in my mind because she's a woman and should know better? You know, I mean, there's that whole thing. So, but, but she yeah. is a symbol of, of a very greedy, you know, nasty, um, very long-standing tradition of, of screwing creative people in every field, musicians, yeah. TV writers. You know, I mean, you know what that's like, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, well. let me ask you. I mean, somebody, let's just say, I, I mean, like I think of Nicholas Kristof off the top of my head, just to give listeners a, um, some perspective. Um, you know, a paid journalist, I mean, what do, do they get paid by the article? Do they get an annual salary? Just so that, you know, listeners know what these people out there are missing, you know? I mean, is it when, when somebody has a column in the newspaper, uh, I, I mean, is, uh, you know, what sort of compensation do they get for that, that um, so many people are not getting anymore, you know, because we have all of this free stuff flooding the Internet, you know, flooding the newspapers, flooding all these blogs. And, I, I, I mean, I wonder what the percentages are, actually, you know, how many people actually get paid to do this versus how many people are just doing it because they want a platform for their idea or opinion or they're trying to become famous. Mm-hmm. That's a big question, and it's hard to succinctly answer it. Um, I will, and it's a good question. Um, so, in the olden days, in the days of yore, um, you know, back when when I was making a very good living as a journalist, um, there were 
a few, you know, there were media outlets, there were big ones, and the big ones paid pretty well, and the little ones did not pay well, um, but they paid. So um, most news, and again, it depends on if you're talking about magazines versus newspapers, the pay and the way people get paid is different. But in a newspaper, in general, most of the people in the olden days whose bylines appeared in the newspaper were on staff and they were paid a salary. So, and that's how I got paid. I was paid a salary um, just like everybody else. And I was expected to write, um, you know, a certain number of stories. I mean, there was no quota, but it was like, Lauren, what have you written lately? What are you working on? Um, And Mm -hmm. then um, things started, I mean, things have never been great in journalism. It's never been a place where anyone's going to get rich ever in the history of the world. I don't think, um, but there was a time when, when I first started out in journalism in uh, about 19, the early 90s, um, I did, you know, nicely. I made, made a nice living. I bought a house and I was comfortable. And, you know, um, now what has happened for a variety of reasons is that most of the people, many of the people whose bylines you see in newspapers are no longer on staff. They don't get a salary anymore. Many do, um, but many of them are freelancers, which is what I am, which means that they work um, per story. And I'm sure this okay. is the case in other industries too, right? Like where it used to be that like lawyers, you know, were, were partners and now they're, I don't know, it's the gig economy is the, is the way that everybody talks about it now. Um, well, and, well, you see ahead. that all over. I mean, you know, it's right. almost, it, it well, reminds me of, uh, I mean, I'll just use Walmart as an example. You know, they don't want to keep anybody full-time, so they don't have to pay them benefits. So everybody's part-time, and, you know, they have horrible schedules and horrible pay and no benefits. So it it, it feels like it, well, I mean, it feels like exploitation to me. Um, yeah. But, you know, all, you know, all of these corporations and all of these industries are managing to get away with it. Um, yes. And, well, of course, to me, it's it's pretty sickening. Um, so, so, all right. So, it, all right. You said in olden days. So, when did it when did it all start to change? When did the transition happen that um, you know it it went from you know people were uh, you know getting you know getting paid as a staff writer uh, to now you're getting paid um, by the story. Okay. Um, well, the short answer to that is with the internet. And the longer answer to that is, I think it is, I mean, certainly it has been going on for my entire lifetime and certainly my entire adult lifetime. Um, my funny story is that I, when I got out of journalism school uh, at USC, actually, um, my first like full-time job was at a paper called the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, which was a tabloid. Um, it was a hundred year old paper um, that was a competitor with the Los Angeles Times. And it was my first job. I was 22, and the reason I got the job is because that paper was about to fold. It was about to go under, and everybody knew it, Um, and I knew it. Um, And so when I went in for the job, the editor of the paper interviewed me, and she said, look, i got to tell you, you're not going to have this job for long because this paper's dying. It's going to die really soon. And I said, why is it dying? And she said, well, because only 10% of people in Los Angeles read the L.A. Or what was it? She said, only... 10% 10% of, I mean, hardly anybody reads us. And in fact, hardly anybody even reads the LA Times. Only about 10% of people in Los Angeles read the LA Times. And I said, oh, what do they read then? And she said, they don't read anything. And 
so that I mean it's just always been that way. And I was like, oh, you know, that was a big eye opener. Um, so yeah, the the you know, so it started with um, television. You know, radio probably killed news started to kill newspapers, and then television started to kill newspapers, and you know, people got busy and didn't have. I mean, the newspaper is sort of an old fashioned medium anyway. Like, who has time to sit down over breakfast and read that thing, right? I mean, you got things to do. Right. Um, so it's always been dying, but what has really, really killed it. Uh, the the internet has killed it for sure, and the economy in general. You know the the economic problems we've been having for ten years have been like another axe, and so that yeah. is a really long answer to a short you know to a short question. But well, no, definitely, that's okay. I mean it gives. Go ahead. Sorry. It, yeah, I mean, it gives some perspective. Um, well, and and I know some very very minor writers um, who have been trying to make a living just. Um, I, I mean, I don't even, I, I doubt that you can even call them journalists, but I mean, listeners might just be appalled to hear that they get a penny a word. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I, I mean, that, that's just, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just outrageous. And, um, well, all right, well, let's, well, newspapers that aren't uh, print, you know, on newspaper, but have, uh, an online presence is that any different? I mean, do or um, or are a lot of those people unpaid, or are they usually staff writers? Oh God, no! Those people are okay. So those people that work only online. Sorry, I'm it's, I'm moving around here. But people who work only online get paid even worse than the people who work in an, on it for something that makes actual paper for reasons that don't really make sense. So let's, in fact, I will tell you a real-life example from a real-life magazine that is called Vogue, okay? <laughs> I will tell you about okay. my little experience with them. Okay, so if you write for a print publication that is actually still printed on paper and your story ends up in that printed thing, you get paid better than you do if you write the exact same story and it doesn't end up in the printed thing. It ends up in the online thing. And the reason for that that publishers say is because a print ad even now costs a lot of money. Like you, like if you're going to buy, I don't know what the ads cost in a, in a magazine or newspaper, but my guess is if you buy like a full color ad in Vogue, it's like probably a hundred grand. It's very expensive. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you buy an mm-hmm. online ad on Vogue.com, you might pay 400 bucks for that. So it's much cheaper to advertise online than it is in print. So therefore, what publishers say is, well, I'm not making as much money off your story online that as I am if it were in the paper, so therefore it's worth, you know, one-tenth of what Less. it would be if it were in the paper, right? And it's like, yeah. wait, I just did the same amount of work. It's not my fault you're not running it. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah. I really yeah. feel sorry for online journalists. I, I recently did a story yeah. for Vogue, um, a little teeny tiny piece um, that was a rush job. It was an assignment by an editor. She's like, could you go out and do this thing and do this little piece? It was a 600-word piece or 300-word piece, tiny, tiny, tiny for the magazine. And it was fun, and I was going to get paid $2 a word, which is like big bucks in the, you know, in the publishing world, which is pretty pathetic. So $600 for the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And I did the story. I rushed. I did it. I wrote it. It got edited like four times. You know, It was like rewritten within an inch of its life for whatever reason. And finally... Uh, apparently Anna Wintour saw it, and she was like, no, she wrote N-O across the story. <laughs> Killed it, right? Uh, uh, which happens all the time, by the way. It's, there's no harm yeah. in that. It's like it happens all the time. So, but the editor said, luckily I was able to rescue your story, and now it will be running not in Vogue, but on Vogue.com, right? 
So for the story that I was going to get paid $600 for, I got paid $250 for. Same exact story, same amount of work, mm. same everything. And, and I was like, but we had a contract. And they're like, sorry, because our contract says we can kill your story for any reason and we won't owe you anything. So I did all <sighs> that work, right? And it's like, it's sort of funny yeah. that you think about every journalist who does this, does this all day long. Like, we, I mean, you know, you write yeah. a story, it's assigned to you, and they're like, never mind, we don't want it. And then you get nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get a kill. You know, I mean, it's, just, it's like you can't make a living doing that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, and you know, and I have to say, you know, because you know, I'm I, nowhere near your caliber of writer, but you know, I've had my little feelings hurt, um, you know, time and time again when a magazine or something would ask me to write something for them, and they would rewrite it and rewrite it, or ask me to rewrite it and rewrite it, and it would make me crazy, you know. I, I yeah, guess it's, it's awful. When it, yeah, I mean, it is it is horrible. I mean, you get to the point where you don't even recognize what you wrote, but. Um, so that's that's. Uh, I, I guess I have to get a thicker skin, but that's disturbing. But hearing you say that it happens to even you, then um, oh God, I it happens it to all of us. <laughs> Here's what I do: I gave up on that long ago because it's not really your fault. It's like they have a voice and they have a way they want the story to run, and 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 yeah. so they're not. It's not an insult. They're not saying you're a bad writer. They're just like this does not sound like Vogue or whatever. So they'll rewrite it. Yeah, it has um, to have a what tone. You learn, it has to have a yes. It's yeah, a certain yeah. tone or whatever. And then, so what yeah. you have to do, this is what I've learned, to save your sanity, is you have your sort of bread and butter writing that you do to make a living, and then you have your writing that you do for you. And that's why I started writing books, because they're so think, much yeah. more rewarding. Yeah. And so I yeah, don't care. Then, now, then you, you can be you. Story, right. And books, yeah. you can do that in books in a way that you cannot, you know, in commercial. Uh, you know, yeah. I also have a that, blog that, that, that I can, you know. Yeah, you can just cut loose and be yourself, and uh, not mm-hmm. uh, not have somebody else come around with the proverbial red pencil and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and cut it up. And, and you know, and there's nothing I hate more when they take something that's important and they try to make a piece of fluff out of it. You know, yeah, uh, because because and you think that they're you know they're just or the people out there that dumb down or they think the people out there are that dumb down. I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's a little bit of I, both. <laughs> I think it's yes to both. Yes, the people are that dumb. I mean, I don't mean it like that. I think the, I mean, you know, it's sort of like when you talk about journalism, right, or the media, liken it to food, okay? So I always think of it this way. Like, you have a certain taste in coffee, let's say, and it's really sophisticated. You like an Italian blend that's specially, what, you know, whatever your thing is. But America, mm-hmm. in general, drinks drinks like Dunkin' <laughs> because... Yeah, when you're trying to to market something to a, to 300 million people. You have to be the lowest common denominator, right? Because you want everybody to like it. And when that happens, yeah, there's nothing good about it, right? And yeah. it's like with bad yeah. television, you know, bad music, bad journalism. You know, it's like you're trying to sell it to your lowest common denominator factor, and and it leaves yeah. people who are you know more discerning behind, unfortunately. Which is why you pick and choose well, your yeah. media sources carefully. I hope you know. Well, and, and you know, it reminds me of an experience I had. Uh, I've been trying to sell a uh, a TV show, 
And, um, and it had to do with the sacred feminine. It was about sacred sites around the world, but uh, sacred sites of, of goddesses rather than the Judeo-Christian sacred sites. And, I would so um, watch that, the only, by the way. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you know, I mean, when you I think of so all of the that. stuff, they, they, they redo over and over and over again, and the mindless gibberish that they put on TV. And I remember the days when the History Channel used to actually teach something, but of course those days are gone. So I, I pitched this, and I, I actually finally do get an agent interested, and they wanted to turn it into a reality TV show. They wanted to actually have a <laughs> A mother and daughter uh, on the road working out their angst between one another as they go from sacred site to sacred site. And, you know, maybe I was crazy, but I turned it down. I said, you know what, I don't want to insult the material with something like that. I, I just, I don't think I could have slept at night, quite frankly. You know, but that's um, why they call and it I, and show I re- business and not show art. Have you heard that expression before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I had, no, but that's, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Well, and, yeah, and you I were mean, saying, you know, um, and, well, you were saying too that uh, there, it, when it comes to journalism and it comes to media coverage, what did you say? They're always going to choose the tits, the tots, and what was the third thing? <laughs> pets, tits, tots, uh, and pets. Uh, <laughs> T- yeah, tits, tots, and pets. And, and I mean, there's a statement right there. Um, and they wonder why people aren't tuning in as much or they're not yeah. buying the newspapers. Um, uh, because, you know, m- maybe a vast majority of the people need a little bit more than tits, tots, and pets. Um, I mean, I, I love more cats on the Internet as much as the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I mean, look, I love a cat video as much as the next person, but I can't swallow that uh, every day for, you know, for hours on end. Um, wow. I, I think it's important, so, though, may I interrupt you for a minute, Karen? I think it's important sure, to, to, yeah. to and, and it's the easy mistake to make, okay? Because, you know, if you are a consumer of media and not a producer of media, TV and newspapers and magazines are all the same thing. But they're really not. So TV, to me, has no – there is no place for journalism and television at all, and, and it shouldn't even try. Do you know what I mean? And so – but mm-hmm. newspapers – or and when I say newspapers, I mean, you know, news organizations that are now online mostly, like the New York Times um, and the Wall Street Journal, also very good, though I have my issues with its politics um, – but the, you know, the New York Times is a, you know, whatever you have to say about it, and it does make mistakes, but overall it's pretty good. You know, it's pretty, pretty trustworthy, and it's not the same as Fox News. They're not the same thing. So I just have to point that out, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and, and you were saying the reality is, though, um, because – uh, the newspaper business has gotten so bad that we would have lost uh, as much as mo- you know people don't well at least people on the left don't like people like Rupert Murdoch if it wasn't for him buying the Wall Street Journal there would be no Wall Street Journal today I mean would that That's have right. been a bad thing you think I, I mean is it better if to there were have no Wall Street Journal? the Wall Street 
yeah, I mean, with him at the helm and in control, I mean, you almost wonder, because you have all of these conservatives with all of this money buying these media outlets, or like in the case of the Koch brothers, they actually donate to colleges and then want to say in what professors are hired, which means what, what you know, students are getting taught conservative economics rather than maybe socialist economics, for instance. Um, I don't know. You know, you wonder if it's, uh, if, if it's would, or, or are we better off with them or without them? Okay, I want to. I want to dispel a an understandable fear about that as best I can, being you know one fairly powerless features writer. Um, so, I worked at the journal pre Rupert Murdoch. My husband worked at the journal pre and post Rupert Murdoch. Need to work at the hello. Wait, you're, you're, something's happening with your phone line. Can you hear me now? Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I think. Sorry. Okay. Um, so I know lots and lots of people who stayed at the journal. I just happened to have left. It wasn't because of Murdoch. I was just already gone by then. Um, and I will say there are probably times when the wealthy owner of a newspaper, and I'm just talking about newspapers now, um, the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, the Wall Street Journal. When when somebody will will make some statement from on high, like we will no longer cover, you know, coal mining, or because it's against my mm-hmm. corporate interest, or whatever. Okay, that might happen, mm-hmm. but honest to God, I have never heard of it ever happening at one of those papers. That newspapers have, um, it's much less so in magazines. And it's much less so probably on the Internet and sites that don't have as much money. But newspapers still have what's called – they call it the Chinese wall. It's like this wall between advertising and publishing and the editorial side. Okay, So so I cannot imagine that even Murdoch would come down to the newsroom and say, we can't cover – you know, the Cincinnati Zoo gorilla issue or whatever. Like, I cannot imagine that that would happen. I'm not saying it didn't, okay. but it would be, it would be, but I think that, I think that this idea that there's, that there are these, you know, these mandates that we will and will not cover things, I think is a little bit blown out of proportion. Um, and I wouldn't worry about it as much as you might, if I were you. I think okay. that those, I said Wall Street Journal, yes, I think the world is better off with the Wall Street Journal in it. I wouldn't say the same about Fox News, but I think I would say that about the journal, to be honest. Okay. And, you know, well, and, so. and, and, and tell me about newspapers when it comes, for instance, like the presidential campaign. I mean, I have had mm-hmm. my heart wrenched out of my chest watching uh, Rachel Maddow turn into a corporate tool on MSNBC uh, for Hillary Clinton. Um, mm-hmm. or, or newspapers the same way, like we're seeing cable TV sort of, uh, you know, become tools of, the, of their corporate owners. Um, do the, does the L.A. Times or these other remaining big papers out there, do they suffer from that same sort of pressure? Like you must support X, or you must support yeah. yeah. Like well, that? well, well, like, well, well. I mean, I'm saying, like, for instance, K. You know, I'm seeing like MSNBC, CNN. You know, they. Uh, I mean, statistics came out that showed uh, how often they mentioned Trump, how often they mentioned Hillary, how often they mentioned Bernie Sanders. When they mentioned Bernie Sanders, it was always to disparage and marginalize. And you know, you and I mean, Chris Matthews on MSNBC just as well put on a just as well put on a cheerleading costume with a big. You 
know, uh, you know, HRC on the front because they're so obviously biased for Hillary. Um, and, and, you know, I'm assuming that it's coming down from on high because, you know, Bernie is against um, the people who own MSNBC and, and always calls them out for not paying their taxes. So it stands to reason that, um, you know, they don't want Bernie Sanders to get into office, and, and that's maybe why they're supporting uh, Hillary Clinton. And I wondered when a big newspaper uh, comes out and supports a candidate, is it, it, you know, is it because that candidate will be uh, financially beneficial to the newspaper or the newspaper owners, or can people trust that it's for the common good, if that makes okay. sense? It does. It does. Okay, so I – and again, I am one person. I don't know what goes on in the boardrooms or the – you know what I mean? I don't know what goes on in, like, the C-suite of these places or even what goes on in the editor-in-chief's office. But I will say this. I don't know – I mean, I can't speak for MSNBC. My guess with Rachel Maddow is she must just like Hillary Clinton. I actually I, – I sort of think – I, I don't think that there that that a newspaper or any media outlet will be like from now on we are going to you know we are going to malign Bernie Sanders and we're going to support Hillary Clinton. I I don't think that that goes on. It, it might somewhere, but it would be a shock. I would actually be shocked if if that happened. It certainly never went on in any of the big you know places I worked. Um, I think sometimes, and I will say this, I think that. Um, I, I do agree that most journalists are liberal, even the ones who work at Fox News. I think a lot of those people are liberal. Um, I certainly know that the Wall Street Journal, which is a conservative newspaper, a lot of those people who work there are liberal. Okay, And I think, weirdly, journalists sometimes malign even harder the person they like. And I don't know why, but it was like when... When Clinton was in office, they would not leave that guy alone, even though the stuff you know, that was anti-Clinton was pretty you – know, the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was pretty ridiculous. And, but, but I almost think that journalists are harder on the people that they like than they are on the idiots like Trump. Does that make sense? Well, I, I hear you. I don't. I'm trying to think of, of the what's the psychology of it. Maybe they don't want to be fingered as being biased or fav- yes. favoritism. That you is know, part of it. Um, You're really trying yeah. hard not to be – journalists really there, – there is no liberal agenda that – you know, except that I think liberals – I think liberals become journalists because I think liberal journalists want to change things. I really do think that's the reason. It certainly isn't to make money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so yeah. I think people who want to change the status quo are by definition – not conservative, right? They're you know they yeah, want change. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, because conservatives, yeah, don't like. Well, they but want I, to I can't even imagine. I, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be a liberal journalist at a place like Fox News. I, I mean, I think I would have to go puke in the bathroom every day. I think they do. Um, I, <laughs> I think some of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if they're really. Um, I mean, you know, that's where that. If you get a job, that's where you get a job, right? I mean, that's we all have to do. Things. Yeah. We also, I mean, I think we have to hold our noses sometimes and do things because we need the money. Yeah. Right. I mean. Right. Some, I mean, right, I'm not yeah. going to say every journalist at Fox News is liberal, but I suspect way more of them are than you would. You know, I mean, maybe not the ones that are on TV that are showing their faces, but mm-hmm. I think the ones that are producing it and like doing the behind the scenes stuff. I, you know, and even some of the ones on TV, yeah. my guess is they. Yeah. But but we're trained, we're told, and we are trained to keep our biases to ourselves. 
and to try to work, you know, to, we don't, we are not told, go out and, and get Hillary elected. That's not what's happening. You know, now I will also say, so, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go go ahead. <laughs> I'm interested. Well, in I, I was. I, well, you know, you you made me think of, um, you know, when someone, you know, I'm still stuck in this a liberal having to work at Fox, and I wonder when they when they interview um, a journalist, do they look at uh, where their bias might be? I mean, do they look at the articles they've written or their, you know, their opinion pieces and things like that? And um, I mean, they mustn't, or maybe they don't care if if uh, some place like Fox News is going to hire a liberal journalist, or they figure they can control them. Um, well, okay, so there are two different kinds of journalists. This is so interesting. See, these are like some of the things that that you would definitely you, as someone who's not in the business, would totally think, which would make sense because we don't do a good job of explaining how the business works. Okay, so so a, mm-hmm. so a reporter. Like, do you know what my politics are? You, you might by listening to me, but I bet you could go through and read everything I've ever written and have absolutely no idea really what my politics are. You might get some okay. hints, but I don't think you would know. And the reason you wouldn't or, – or, you know, if you were conservative and wanted to read conservative politics into what I write, you could. And if you're liberal and you want to read liberal politics into what I write, you could. And the reason is because it is my job not to make my political leanings known. Now, okay. that is because I'm, re- I'm a reporter, okay? So as a reporter, my job is to go talk to people, like talk to you, find out what you think about things, and write a story about it without infusing mm-hmm. as best I can my bias into what you told me. That's a bad journalist, okay? So I would do this interview with you, and I'd be like, okay, so Karen has some has serious problems with corporate journalism, and she is a liberal, and you know what I mean? She's for Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't make you say something you didn't say. I wouldn't try to be like, but Bernie Sanders sucks. I mean, which I don't think, by the way. Um, that's a reporter. A columnist, like Kristoff, is different. A columnist is someone who gets to say his or her opinions. There's, so if you were going to hire a journalist, a reporter, you wouldn't know. Like, if Fox News wanted to hire me, they wouldn't know what my politics were. And, and if I really wanted the job, I guess I wouldn't say, you know. But if I were a columnist, yeah. they would know what my politics were, and they probably wouldn't hire me because they don't want, you know, my politics on, you know. So, so it depends on the kind of journalist you are. But we are, tr- okay. we are told, anybody at any big, good newspaper or magazine or anywhere else, TV, anything that's big and, and good – Enough, or I guess big and, and, and important, you know, whether they're good or not. Is anybody who works for those places, we do not campaign for people. We are not allowed to donate money to any political candidate or any political cause. We are not allowed to appear at political events unless we're covering them. There is no, we are not allowed to have any visible bias toward anybody. Hmm. Well, you know what and that reminds may- me of. Uh, uh, well, and you know, and I can see why it should be that way. Um, yeah. It, but it, 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 and again, I'm I'm comparing. Uh, I'm not. Com- what I'm about to say is not news. You know, paper newspaper. But again, cable television. I remember when Keith Oberman got in all of this trouble from MSNBC because he made a small private political donation. I think he got suspended for three days. But now. Chris Matthews goes crazy for Hillary Clinton, and you know everything in the news is because you know his wife is running for 
our office and, uh, you know, she's sort of part of the Clinton machine or benefiting from the Clinton um, favors. And and it's like things have shifted so much, you know, from, you know, uh, Keith Olbermann gets suspended for this little bitty campaign contribution, but yet, uh, you know, Chris Matthews can go crazy on TV for for Hillary. Um, you know, it, it just, I don't know, the finger, the, the double standard is, um, uh, I don't know, it, it just seems like it's gotten so much worse in a short period of time. It's like the integrity has dissolved even even more. I, you know, I can't really comment on that. I would say I, I don't actually watch Chris Matthews, I will say that. So did, did he go, does he literally say on TV, like, I think we should all vote for Hillary? Or, or is it just a well, no. because Okay, because the Olbermann, well, the difference between Olbermann and Matthews might be, and I'm only guessing, that Olbermann had a demonstrable bias, which he, pay, you know, which you could prove because there's his check, right? Whereas uh-huh. Matthews, yeah. maybe, maybe it's like, well, you can't, we can't really prove it. You know what I mean? I don't know though because I don't, I can't say for sure, but it could just be that. It could be like, well, we can't really prove that he's, you know, shilling for Hill, so we have a check that proves it. I don't know though. I, well, I'm it, just guessing that. Well, well, you know, you might be right. You know, I mean, it's not like he he, he comes out and he says it outright. However, um, I remember one of the things that just made me crazy is he was he was fear mongering about socialism and connecting it to Bernie rather than I thought the proper thing for him to do if he really wanted to be uh, a journalist was to it you know maybe tell the difference between socialism and democratic socialism rather than you know it, it felt very McCarthy like you know mm-hmm. he was trying to, to pin socialism on Bernie when that's not even you know it's not even what Bernie's about and it, it, it felt yeah like, that's annoying it, yeah I, I mean it, it it felt very irresponsible and um and I mean that's just one of a lot of things but that's one of the easiest things to describe if you didn't actually see it you know but um uh, it it's uh, well uh, the news the news media it it it's gotten to the point well well from a journalist's point of view i i think from the some of the stuff you sent me it's also frustrating for you guys because um, it seems like there's a lot of plagiarism out there. People will use your work and you don't get credit for it too. Was that something that you have to deal with a lot? yeah, it's bad i mean it's always been bad that's always been the so my joke. God, there was some newspaper that's folding right now um, in some fairly smallish city, not a huge city. And there was this, this, this really happened. And this TV station started this campaign that's like, like cancel your newspaper subscription because we're moving in or something like that. It was like this internet, you know, this like other companies trying to get people actively to like cancel their newspaper subscriptions because you're going to get your news from us now on. And my joke was like, how will the internet slash TV station get its news if there's no newspaper around to report it for them? <laughs> like, you know, that, like yeah. for, for the entire time, I think TV has been around and, you know, it's been stealing. It just, it, you know, whoever does all the news shows, they just read the New York times and the Washington post and the wall street journal. And they steal stuff from that and just report on that. That's what they do, you know? And 
now yeah, just, the internet. Yeah, you can tell. They just regurgitate it over and over again. It's like they all talk from the same talking points. Um, right. You know, like, like they say, say um, political campaigns put out talking points for all the surrogates. Well, it seems like all the news outlets, you know, are getting their news from the same source, too. Because, well, because they don't have their own reporters to go out and get their own stories. I, I guess right. that's they don't probably part of it, pay right? Anybody. Yeah, they don't have any staff, or yeah. they have very few, and they don't have time to go out because they've got to do 16 other stories that day. So it's easier just to steal something from the press release or whatever. And, you know, that's, right. that is always well, going on. That's nothing new with, with television, well, for sure. Well, you know, that, that movie that was up for an Academy Award this last time around, Spotlight, I love that mm-hmm. movie. And, mm-hmm. and for listeners who, who, who maybe don't know about it, because it was really kind of a sleeper, I don't think it made a lot of, um, you know, it, I don't think it got a lot of publicity, unfortunately. But it was about these wonderful um, investigative journalists who were at the Boston Globe, I think, who mm-hmm. uncovered uh, the, the, the pedophilia that was going on in the church and so and and they seemed like they were on that story for months and their lives were in danger and i mean do those sort of people exist anymore i don't know not as much um they definitely existed you know again i I feel like an old woman talking about like back in the day you know i mean in you know in the early not up until things really began to fall apart um those people absolutely existed and in fact the editor of you know, Marty Baron, who was Lee Shriver in the movie, was actually someone who worked at the at the LA Times when I was like a cadet reporter there. So I I actually knew who he was. I was like, you know, and by the way, that Lee Shriver totally nailed him. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But anyway, um, yes, those people exist, or, and not as much. And the reason they don't is it's, that is called what we call enterprise reporting. Um, those kinds of stories where it's like I think there might be something here, but I'm going to have to dig into it for a while for a few months, or I'm going to need to have me and my team dig into it for a few months. That stuff, as you might imagine, is incredibly expensive, right? I mean, it just it costs what you have to pay, you know, half a dozen journalists to report full-time on a story that may never even pan out, right? It, so it's very expensive. And I will say that but, – go ahead, sorry. Yeah. But, well, but in a way, um, that that that's really bad news because when you think about, I don't know, Woodward and Bernstein and the, you know, uncovering, um, you know, the, the stuff they were famous for, the you know, Watergate and all of that. I mean, if we don't have those sorts of people out there, um, you know, actually, I mean, like for instance, now with the Clinton Foundation, um, you know, people like that book came out that was at Con uh, Clinton. Cash. Um, I mean, you know, you don't know whether it's a, you know, a kind of on level of, of Breitbart or if there's really something <laughs> yeah. there. I, I mean, because it's, it's so hard to know if the people who are writing the stories that we see on the Internet, um, we don't know if they've really vetted these stories. We, you know, we, do it, uh, we, we don't know anymore if what we're reading is true, and we don't know if we are getting the, the really tough stories um, like the Boston Globe piece, for instance. You know, if, uh, how, how will we go into the future without that sort of investigative journalism? Um, I mean, uh, unless they just want to keep dumbing us down so much and we all become uh, these mindless sheeple and stuff like that won't matter to anybody anymore. <laughs> I'm pulling my hair I mean, out of think, my head. No, I mean, I think, you know, you've hit on something that terrifies me too, that 
you know, I mean, I think I could tell you, like, Karen, just don't watch TV anymore. You'll feel, you'll be a lot happier. Like, go to, like, there's a couple <laughs> of great, you know, go to, listen to NPR, um, read the Washington, read the New York Times and the Post and, um, and, uh, and read ProPublica, which is a wonderful investigative um, site, ProPublica.org, I think. Um, wonderful investigative site that is uh, run by donation. Um, but but the real problem, and I think the thing that you're really afraid of, you personally, is like all the rest of the people out there don't know to do this. And they all look at Chris mm-hmm. Matthews or they all look at Fox News and they're like completely swayed. And like, you know, it's like the zombie apocalypse is upon us kind of. And, and I yes. think that's what you're yes. getting at. I think that's what worries you so much. And it really, really worries me too. And it really upsets me. And the answer is, I don't know. I do a lot of yoga. I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I don't think there's an I know, answer. I've been telling my husband a lot lately, gee, you know, I finally, I really understand on a different level that saying ignorance is bliss. I really yeah. get that. Um, yeah. You know, because I, I, I think I really, I'm starting to see things on different levels that I hadn't before. Like, for instance, I used to defend the Democrats over the Republicans. Well, you know what? I don't anymore now after I see what's happened uh, to Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I don't even do that anymore. And and I, I don't know, I, I guess I just, uh, I, I worry about the future of democracy. I mean, journalists are supposed to be the fourth estate, and for listeners, the fourth estate means, you know, they have responsibility to help us uphold democracy. I, I don't know, I, I, I turn on the television and I read articles. I don't trust, with, with you know, maybe Amy Goodman, you know, maybe Matt Taibbi, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain people maybe I still trust, but the the vast majority of them, I'm a skeptic. You know, I, I'm not sure yeah. uh, I, I, I even know who to believe anymore because I, I worry about their bias. I think so. I think with okay, so I think that what you can put away from for tonight for the little for the little help it gives you, which isn't very much, is I I think that the bias isn't as bad in a grand sense as it is in certain individual senses. I, you know, I, I think that most journalists, those of us toiling namelessly behind the scenes, I think work very, very hard to write fair and balanced stuff. And I'm not talking about Fox. I'm talking about everybody else, right? I think mm-hmm. we work really hard. Mm-hmm. I think that whole, I mean, I do not believe for a minute. I mean, I've been it. I lived it for my entire life. There is no liberal bias where we're all like, oh, don't talk about X. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not happening. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as they say, facts have a liberal bias sometimes, (laughs) like, you know, but now whether Chris Matthews is biased or whether, um, Rachel Maddow is biased that, you know, I don't know. Those are commentators though. They are paid to be biased and they're, they're, they are not journalists. They're, they're talking heads. Um, but overall in, in the news in general, I think you're safe. You know, I think basically they, people try their best. And I don't think there's a giant corporate mandate from our, like, corporate overlords that's telling us what to cover and what not to cover. You know, there might in, okay. in individual circumstances, I'm sure that happens. But overall, I think that you can, be, you can feel better knowing that at least that's not going on, you know, as much as you might think. Mm-hmm. But there's a yeah. lot going on, I mean, for sure. I, you know, the only thing I think that you can – the only thing I'm clinging to, really, is I think that we're in for a very dark time. I think it's going to get worse um, because there's just no money in anything. You can't, nobody can make a living doing any, I mean, bloggers can't make a living, individual published, you know, publishers can't make a living. No one's figured out how to make money yet off of journalism now. 
But I think the Internet is going to save us, even as it kills us. I think something will rise out of the Internet once there is no investigative reporting at all and everybody's just reading press releases and looking at Kim Kardashian. Somebody is Mm -hmm. going to get fed up and start something. And that might be 50 years from now, but I think it will happen. But I do think we're in some dark times, you know. I really do. Well, I think so too. You know, and and it. uh, And I mean, I just think about the people. I, 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 you know, catch me on one day, and I'm fighting against voter suppression. But then on the other hand, I think to myself, we're going to let these people who don't know shit vote. You know. Yes. Um, So, so you know, I I kind of vacillate back and forth. I mean, it just, uh, it just scares me. What people out there think they know and don't know and I mean at least I th- I think to myself I'm smart enough to know I don't know it you know rather than mm-hmm. think I do um, I, I don't know well it's uh, it I, I can't imagine how hard it must be um, for you guys out there in journalism I you know I, I I'm just I'm glad you're out there I'm glad you are trying to stick it out um, I mean, I know I don't make any money writing my books, and I know every article I write is free, and that I know that doesn't help you any. Um, it, but, you know, I can honestly say uh, I, I don't know if I'll even keep doing it anymore because I'm not sure that uh, it really nets anything anyway. I mean, there's so much out there. There's such an oversaturation for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't get any traction, really. Um, no. You no. know, I don't, I don't think. I, at least not the kind of stuff I write about, because I don't care about writing about fashion or recipes or babies or dogs. You know, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, th- those those aren't. The and things even if you I did, you still about. wouldn't get any traction. Everybody's writing about those things. You know, it's hopeless. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, but keep it, like, so what? So fourteen people hear this. That's fourteen people who heard something they didn't know and can make up their own mind about. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't, in some ways, that's true. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, believe me, I'm as hopeless about this stuff. And journalists in general, we are just so depressed right now. Like it is so, we know this is going on too and we hate it and we're broke. You know what I mean? It's just, it's awful. It's like we become obsolete yeah. overnight. It's awful. But that said, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do, I mean, the internet is full of horrible people with, well, I will, I will leave you with this because I think this is so funny. One of the problems with the internet is that, you know, it used to be there were very few places you could get information from and those places by virtue of the fact that they had all the information had a certain gravitas to them, right? You sort of like, I trust mm-hmm. this, you know, I trust Walter Cronkite or whatever, you know what I mean? Because they were very, they were very yeah. comfortable with access to that information. And we, we trusted them more. And now, of course, anybody has access to as much information as anybody else. And my, I have a very good journalist friend who's a Pulitzer winner, who, um, wonderful journalist who I, I'm sure you know who it is and I'm sure you like this person, but he always says the internet is like the equivalent of having to listen to every drunk in every bar rant. You know what I mean? Like every <laughs> single drunk in every single bar has the same platform as everybody with any kind of education or intelligence. And it's true, right? It's just, it's the worst. It's like a billion drunks in bars ranting. But that said, there's also some really smart people out there and they're ranting too, you know? Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll, yeah, you would do- <laughs> It just you just have to figure out you know you just have to take the time to use some discernment uh, right, or uh, you know it, it, 
Yeah, and and I mean it, it's it, but it is. I mean, and who's? I think the thing is, you know, when people are busy working two and three jobs, you know, how do they find the time to um, to vet these articles? To you know, no, they to don't. know what the agenda, you know, what the agenda is of maybe the person writing it. You know, um, if if they're, you know, are they really giving them good information, or are they do they have their own agenda? You know, are they unbiased? Um, it's a struggle, you know. It it really is yeah. a struggle, and uh, and but, I do but think the patriarchy is keeping us all down. I really do. Like we all work too hard, we're too busy, we're too stressed out. We don't have time to be to, to yeah, demonstrate I mean, I, or be angry or you know what I mean. You're, everybody's just trying to like keep their head above water, and I think that's exactly where well, the vast nameless patriarchy wants us, right? I mean, in whatever well, way. Well, and you know. I, I wonder what's wrong with, and I know we're getting ready to wrap this up, and I appreciate you taking yeah. the time, but I wonder if you've ever thought what's wrong with Americans. I mean, you look over in Europe, I mean, they have been protesting in France in the street for, I think, two weeks over, uh, you know, things that they think aren't fair for workers. It feels like Americans are just accustomed to being doormats. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine why people aren't in the street. I mean, are they putting something in the water? <laughs> I, I mean, is that know. what's in the chemtrails? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't get it, you know. But anyway. Well, Lauren, thank you. Thank you for tonight. I mean, is there anything you wanted to say that maybe I didn't think to ask you um, that you no, wanted you know, before, before I let time. you go? No, I think I, well, I hope I, that you, you know, I, it was really nice talking to you, I have to say. Well, I enjoyed myself, too, and uh, thank you so much for filling us in, uh, you know, on what it's like on your, uh, in, in your part of the world, on, on your side of this. Um, at the end of the month, I, I'm actually going to have Robert uh, McChesney on. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about uh, the demise of journalism, you know, how, how we went from Walter, you know, Walter Cronkite-type journalism to, you know, what we're dealing with today. Because, I mean, if somebody like Dan, Dan Rather, I mean, I mean, because that was the other movie that came out, um, you know, this this past winter with the Academy Awards. So I'm trying to remember the name of it. Truth, maybe. Um, how Dan yeah, Rather trying, got yeah. taken down. You, you know. I so anyway, yeah, I, I, I just, didn't see that one either. I, I, uh, yeah, that one was actually pretty good too, because you actually see the journalist who was trying to, uh, who worked with Dan Rather, uh, who they were digging into the story about George Bush and, you know, how he was AWOL and how, you know, uh, all the rich senators' sons got these privileged um, spots on the National Guard so they didn't go risk their lives over in Vietnam. And so rather than, you know, but but the media, you know, got, you know, the conservative media, I guess I'm going to call it, the people who, uh, the the Bushes could control or their friends could control got the story spun so that they didn't focus on the fact that George Bush went AWOL and these guys, you know, didn't serve like poor people served over in Vietnam. It all became a focus on um, these documents of, of Dan Rather. I mean, you know, it was in, really interesting how they managed to maneuver and manipulate the story and somebody like Dan Rather is out on his butt and, you know, George Bush seems to have escaped unscathed. He, you know, gets elected president again. So, anyway, I, I just – it makes me crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm, so. I think it's interesting. Like, 
I still, I still stand by the idea that there isn't really a conspiracy here, but I do think there's, I mean, there is something and there's some reason why that's that the way things happen the way they do. I, I don't think it's a media conspiracy or a corporate conspiracy. It might be like le- related to legal threats or something like that. I, I definitely think you're onto something, but I don't know that it's what you think it is. I just don't know what it is. Does that make sense? I don't think there's okay. anyone like yeah. I don't think there's a big marionette, you know, person holding the strings that's pulling the media and making them not tell stories that are out there. I really don't believe that in my experience of being in the media. That said. I do believe there's something that happens, and I just don't know what it is. I'll have to think about it. And why, why did yeah. that happen the way it did? I don't know, you know? Yeah, well, and, like, I, and I mean, why look, did and I, get and I, I don't know, you know? Why? I don't know. Well, I, I, I think it's, uh, well, personally, I mean, whether we're talking about that story with the Bushes or what's happened mm-hmm. to Bernie, I, I think it's big money interests win out. Mm-hmm. And and you know uh, you know the Bush family had a lot of influence. Uh, I mean, look, they go back how many generations? I mean, George Bush was on the CIA. Uh, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's about power and money and influence, and that trumps truth. Um, you know that. And yet, it, I, it, I, and still, it, I wonder how it happens. You know, how does that influence happen? I don't think anybody's like going into you know Rupert Murdoch's office and being like, hey, you can't like suppress this story or we'll. You know, I don't know. I don't think that's what happens, but something happens. I just don't know what. Well, well, you know. Well, I'll leave you with this thought. Um, I was listening to someone talk about uh, Trump. And you know how everybody, uh, everybody on the Republican uh, side was saying, "Never Trump." You know he's he's a cancer. Blah blah blah. We'll never get behind him. Well, now everybody's lining up behind him. And somebody yeah. asked somebody on television, "Why are they lining up behind him?" Well, because they want access. You know, they want yeah. to be on the right side of it. So you know, it's about people people not having integrity integrity anymore. It's people who are self serving, and well, I mean, I guess they got to take care of their family too. You know, when it really comes down to it, but uh, but we've sort of lost. Uh, integrity. We've lost morality. We've lost that ability to stand up for what's right, and yeah. um, I, I, that's what it feels like to me too. You know, uh, we've just sort of lost our moral compass um, yeah. and our values. Because remember, greed used to be one of the seven deadly sins, and now it's <laughs> now you know, it's good. If you're, if you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, well, Laura, well, thank you, thank you so much. I've I've had fun uh, fun with you tonight, and um, I, you know, thank you for giving us a glimpse on the other side. Well, thank you too. I really appreciate it. Keep on fighting the good fight. You too, you too. Stay in touch, and listen when your right. yoga book comes out. Get in touch with me. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll do a little interview about your book. Thank you. That'll be much more nice, <laughs> much less depressing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Well, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed Lauren uh, as I did. And uh, as I said, if you didn't catch that, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, journalism. Uh, the last Wednesday of the month, um, I was referred to um, a, a journalist uh, professor who used to have his own radio show uh, by the name of Robert uh, McChesney, and this is one of his uh, pet subjects about the lack of journalistic integrity uh, in the media. And um, you know, we'll talk about how the media actually went from uh, 
the way it used to be when we had news agencies that um, weren't part of the entertainment industry, uh, you know, news agencies that didn't have to make money. So, uh, you know, when Walter Cronkite used to be on the air, uh, it was just accepted that, um, you know, the, the news was on the air for the benefit of the common good, and uh, and things started to shift, and I think it actually started to shift during the Clinton administration. And uh, you know the rules got changed, and we're going to talk about all of that. And uh, uh, I, I want to understand that better, uh, as uh, I'm sure uh, some of you do too. So uh, you'll want to make sure you see our uh, show or listen to our show on June 29th with Robert uh, McChesney. And uh, also, too, uh, while we're talking about the shows uh, for the rest of the month, um, I will also be interviewing um, Heidi um, Heidi Abendroth. Uh, wait, she's got three names. I want to make sure uh, I get it right. Uh, it's going to be on uh, matriarchal societies, um, yeah, uh, Dr. Heidi Gottner, Abendroth, um, she has a book out, and uh, we're going to be uh, talking about that. Uh, so she's going to be on uh, later in the month. She's actually my guest uh, next Wednesday. And uh, we uh, have Michael Haupt, uh who's going to be on the show, too. Um, he's going to be with me, I think, uh, uh, oh, I think June 22nd, and uh, our talk is going to be on Patriarchy's Perfect Storm, fem- uh, Sacred Feminine Technology, um, a powerful concurrence of exponential technologies, rising global consciousness, and feminine energy that's sweeping the planet, and he says it's really good news. So um, should be a lot of fun, I think, these uh you know these shows that uh, that we have coming up. Now uh, I promised uh, some other things at the top of the hour. Let me uh, get to that. Uh, the first one is um, uh, Audrey Hepburn uh, put this out. This was written by Audrey Hepburn uh, regarding beauty tips. And again, I want to thank our roving reporter Pat. Uh, for sending this in. She thought listeners might enjoy this. Uh, It's kind of a fun thing. And, uh, of course, I want to say to Pat, get well. I hope you're doing better, Pat. Uh, So, anyway, Audrey Hepburn's uh, beauty tips. Uh, here, Here goes. She says, For attractive lips, speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes, seek out the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For beautiful hair, let a child run their fingers through it once a day. For poise, walk with the knowledge you'll never walk alone. People, even more than things, have to be restored, renewed, revived, reclaimed, and redeemed. Never throw out anybody. Remember, if you ever need a helping hand, you'll find one at the end of your arm. (laughs) As you grow older, uh, you will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself, the other for helping others. Um, The beauty of a woman is not in the clothes she wears, the figure that she carries, or the way she combs her hair. The beauty of a woman must be seen in her eyes because that is the doorway to her heart, the place where love resides. 
the beauty of a woman is not in in a facial mold, but true beauty on a woman is reflected in her soul. It is the caring that she lovingly gives, the passion that she shows. And the beauty of a woman with passing years only grows. So anyway, thanks, Pat. That uh, that was really nice. Um, so thank you. I think that was all uh, Audrey Hepburn's uh, beauty tips. Um, and before we go on to that, uh, some of the other stuff um, I was going to share with you tonight, I want to make sure you know about the free magazine you can get uh, from Sage Woman Magazine. And uh, I can't imagine this is the first time you're hearing about Sage Woman Magazine, but if it is, uh, Sage Woman has been celebrating the goddess in every woman for three decades. Uh, it brings the wisdom of women's spirituality to over 10,000 women every issue, uh, which is 88 pages long. Uh, you can call their toll-free number, 888-724-3966, or uh, more easily, uh, 888-SAGE-WOMAN. And if you mention uh, that you heard this on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, uh, you will get a free sample issue. Uh, you can also check out Sage Woman online at uh, sagewoman.com. So just as well take advantage of that, um, you know, maybe get one for a friend if uh, you already um, get Sage Woman or know about Sage Woman, uh, maybe for your, for your daughter. Uh, also, too, uh, Joe Carson has a new book out, uh, Celebrate Wildness, and uh, I, uh, she asked me to uh, share this with you. And... Um, I want to do that by way of Dana Corby's blog, The Rant and Raven. Uh, Here's what Dana thinks about uh, Joe Carson's new book, Celebrate Wildness. She says, when people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is ferifaria. Ferifaria, a word Fred Adams coined from the Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's vision of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans, such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp, uh, romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book, only 115 pages, it is filled with art. Don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time. Let it sink into your subconscious. Let it marinate. Let it percolate. And you know what? What bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Uh, I have uh, a copy of Celebrate uh, Wildness, and I have to say I personally recommend it myself. Uh, It's a wonderful coffee table book, uh, oversized, hardbound, on heavy paper, um, great, uh, great conversation starter, uh, rich, rich, rich in its texture. And you can get it for only $45. And, um, 
and you get it from the Ferriferia website, which is F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So again, that is Celebrate Wildness uh, by Joe Carson. Check it out. I don't think you will be sorry. And um, oh, when I opened the show, I told you I was going to share with you um, the article of mine that uh, got published in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania paper. Uh, and the article is The New World of the Sacred Feminine. And I'm sharing it with you because I am just ecstatic that an article like this could be published in a mainstream newspaper. And one of the reasons it was uh, was because I was invited to um, the Harrisburg-Lancaster area back in March and uh, did some teaching for three days up there, and it was wonderful. I had a, an incredible time. It was My teachings were really well received. The people were just incredible. The landscape out there was beautiful. Um, the, the women took me to Mormon country, and we drove through the countryside, and uh, that was just such a treat. I got to meet some um, uh, I'm sorry, I said Mormon. I meant Amish. Uh, I got to meet some Amish families, and um, you know, some of them were running health food stores, and uh, they were just so pleasant, and the, their farms were so beautiful. And uh, anyway, uh, so as a result of that, um, the one of the people associated with uh, the Natural Awakenings uh, magazine uh, asked me to uh, to write a write an article for the paper and uh, uh, and this is it so I will share it with you so if you want to sit back for a minute uh, you know grab a cup of cup of tea a glass of wine uh, this won't take too long and uh, I think you'll enjoy it and again imagine this is in a mainstream paper which uh, just fills my heart with hope so it's called the new world of the sacred feminine by Karen Tate uh, we are blessed with an alternative to the powers of domination and authoritarian patriarchy that do not support the health of society and our planet. The ancient and wise concepts and ideals embodied in the notion of the sacred feminine, which offers pathways for a more sustainable future, have become indelibly integrated into our lives, reminding us that there is an alternative to living in the crisis of our present day. As the paradigm of power shifts across the globe, we reframe our faith and organize religion. As climate change quickly approaches a point of no return, we begin to use the divine intelligence gleaned from the sacred feminine to lead and to find solutions in sanctuary. Humans are listening to conscious heart wisdom and intuition to manifest a new normal. We are practicing partnership, generosity, and compassion to establish a new way of being. We have hit the reset button and are tapping into empathy and morality. We are witnessing this awakening across the globe as people from all walks of life and cultures turn to goddess, the deity, archetype, and ideal of the sacred feminine to evolve beyond the malignant chaos we face today. Our mythology shapes our culture, and history's focus on male deities eventually led to imbalances in leadership, structures that promoted domination, control, and more forceful forms of relating. Scholars of matriarchal studies, such as Heidi Abendroth, 
who's going to actually be on this month, have long recognized that cultures centered around the sacred feminine create more balanced and peaceful societies. Ancient Crete was an example of an egalitarian society, as was Shetil Hayop, Turkey. Unfortunately, at some point, goddess was pushed aside, as were her ideals of nurturing, caring, sharing, and concern for the common good. And over time, such egalitarian societies of peace and partnership were overrun by aggressive tribes that revered war gods. While mythology may not seem immediately relevant to our everyday lives, we can connect the dots between the loss of a feminine face of God and the state of pay inequity for women. Without goddess, we have patriarchal religions where women are conditioned to believe they're second-class citizens, meant to submit to their husbands, and many women never lead an authentic life or reach their fullest potential. Without the sacred feminine, we also end up with the political systems in which women are not free to choose what they can and cannot do with their own bodies. Around the world, women suffer genital mutilation, are subject to arranged marriages, or in some cases are forced to wear burqas against their will. Most of us can think of other forms of oppression suffered by women in the United States as well as across the globe. Patriarchy has been destructive and demoralizing not only to women, though it though it affects Mother Earth and even men too. There is a direct connection between societies that oppress or exploit women and the destruction of Mother Earth and her inhabitants. And patriarchy also prevents men from being their authentic and whole selves as they strive to live according to man-made dogma or rules determined by religion, culture, or popular society. The sacred feminine provides a path forward for a more whole, healthy, and sustainable future for most of us, and she is being embraced by folks from many walks of life. We can witness this paradigm shift in politics as some presidential candidates are calling for policies that benefit the we and the us, also recognized as the 99%, rather than the I and me represented by the 1%. guess you can figure out who I meant by that. In a better world of the future, all of our boats float, and we are no longer subject to the corruption of predator capitalism, where corporations take advantage of employees and deny them adequate benefits. Greed and exploitation are not the way of the sacred feminine. Instead, advocates of goddess promote generosity, compassion, and partnership. Well, there it is. That was my article in Natural Awakenings. And I want to you know, thank those folks uh, out there in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, for the opportunity to actually have that in their uh, in their magazine. Well, uh, I think that about does it uh, for me tonight. Uh, I hope you will uh, tune in again with me next week when we have uh, Heidi uh, Abendroth. Um, uh, we'll be talking about uh, uh, matriarchal societies and. Uh, uh, talking about them in more depth, especially the disinformation out there about uh, about matriarchal societies, because you know we do still have some around today, and um, you know we would be silly not to uh, cherry pick some of their best ideas and do our best to incorporate those into society. And as I say uh, every week, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing me say it, I know I do sound like PBS uh, sometimes, but it is important. You know, what you nurture and tend to thrives, uh, what you neglect withers. Uh, That just is uh, 
you know, uh, universal truth, uh, whether we're talking about our relationships uh, uh, or, or our garden. Uh, it also applies to the show. Uh, so if you appreciate uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine and uh, you would like to uh, uh, do your part to help um, keep it on the air, uh, I hope you will at some point um, uh, you know, send in a few bucks, uh, help me pay for the airtime, uh, because I do pay out of my pocket, uh, you know, here for these, you know, these great guests every week uh, to be able to um, help us continue our educations, uh, to have a platform to share their wisdom and uh, uh, their life's work, uh, because they are all uh, also have their pieces of the puzzle uh, that can help us create uh, uh, a better quality of life to create that new normal um, so that uh, we can reshape the world. Because, you know, not only do we, you know, we, we can't just think about getting rid of patriarchy and domination. We have to have something to replace it. And I believe uh, so many of my listeners uh, bring so much wisdom to the show. Uh, so help me keep the show going, uh, if you would. Uh, you can go to my website, karentate.com. And uh, if you go to the Goddess Store page, uh, please think about... Uh, maybe uh, purchasing a book or some CDs or you can go all the way down to the very bottom of the page and you uh, at the very last PayPal button down there uh, you can make a donation of any amount. Uh, imagine if 100 people made a $5 donation. That would keep the show on the air for some time. Uh, so think about that. I hope you will. And uh, as always, I love to hear from you, my listeners. You are gas in my tank. I love to hear about guest ideas, uh, show topics. Uh, I like to hear comments about, um, uh, about shows or about uh, things I talk about here um, because, you know, this is, uh, this is your program too. Um, so, you know, help me. Uh, you know, help me uh, do things that uh, you will enjoy. Uh, inspire me. Give me, uh, you know, give me fresh ideas, and uh, I will do my best uh, to uh, bring some of your your suggestions for show ideas and guests onto Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, well, that about does it uh, for me tonight. Uh, I think uh, since we have some time, I'll take the opportunity to play another cut by Zingaya uh, in honor of Sekhmet, uh, because this weekend uh, we are doing some Bernie uh, rituals in uh, Culver City, California, and in Irvine, California. Uh, we're doing rituals for Bernie and uh, for the progressive movement uh, so that... Uh, you know, we can um, helpfully uh, energize the, uh, the cosmos to uh, get behind Bernie uh, so that he can help us all uh, have a better quality of life and not continue this, uh, this struggle, this suffering, this exploitation uh, that so many of us are, um, uh, are having to endure in this, uh, you know, predator capitalistic uh, society. That, uh, that we're all living in. So um, because we're going to be invoking Sekhmet, uh, the warrior goddess who uh, helps burn away obstacles and gives us strength and courage and tenacity and uh, helps inspire our passions, uh, I will uh, play the Sekhmet mix 
uh, put together by Zingaya, uh, the group out of Las Vegas. So uh, it'll just be about four more minutes. I'll let you listen to that here. And uh, that about does it for me tonight. Again, thank you for being with me. Uh, May Goddess embrace you in her golden wings. And here is uh, Zingaya's cut uh, called The Segment Mix. Desert, heart, fire. 